So this one day, Murph and I are really stressed out. And so at nighttime, we, we sneak onto the balcony to have a cigarette. And that was a big no-no. We weren't allowed to have cigarettes. If the Baptists saw us smoking a cigarette, they would have kicked us out of the country. They probably would have torn up our visas. And so we had to go onto the balcony of our apartment. We had to crouch down so nobody could see us standing there and make sure there wasn't too much smoke so the smoke wouldn't be billowing out of the balcony. And we would just crouch there and we would share one, pass it back and forth, and then like ash down this little drainage hole on the balcony. But uh, this night, while we're having a cigarette, you showed up, Grant. I wasn't partaking in the cigarettes. I, and for me, uh, I needed to relax, so I went to take a hot shower. So I, uh, I got in the bathroom, turned the hot water on, just about ready to jump in there, and I heard a pounding on our door. And I thought, huh, that's strange. It's like 8.30 at night. And so I looked through the peephole, and it's Mama Nadia, our, uh, our landlord. And if you remember from uh, the last episode, she, for a while, cooked for us and cleaned for us. Uh, I opened the door and said, hi, Mama Nadia. And she goes, Grant, Grant, Vitali, Pridiot, Vitali, Pridiot. I didn't really understand what she was saying. I, I, I understood she was saying something about Vitali, the Russian pastor who helped us out quite a bit uh, and kind of babysat us a little bit. And so I thought, okay, well, thank you. I said thanks to her and uh, closed the door and made my way over to the balcony. And I almost didn't even do this at all, but I, I thought maybe I should check and see what that other word meant. So I go out there and I, I say, hey, Dave. What does pridiot mean? And so I said, oh, it, it means he or she is coming. Ah, and then it all clicked for me. And so I let them know, well, guys, you better get your butts back inside here and get that smoke out of there because Vitali pridiot. Fifteen years ago, we spent a year together in Russia, and it has stuck with us ever since. Russia became a permanent part of who we are. Through the good and the bad, we found the motherland to be a place like no other. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm David. I'm Grant. And this is To Russia With Love. You guys jumped up so fast. I think you guys jumped in the shower. <laughs> we were so freaked out. Yeah, we both... I think we might have taken a shower together to save time. We were so scared because... Because, like, dude, the Baptists, you could not smoke. It was a, a sin. It was, like, worse than killing a guy. You're not supposed <laughs> to smoke a cigarette. And and so we had to get, get the smell off of us. We took a shower and uh, sprayed deodorant all over the place. We, yeah, you guys were, like, middle school boys just drenched in that Axe body spray. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. I mean, at least he didn't say anything about it. Maybe he knew. Maybe he had suspicions, but he never asked us about smoking cigarettes on the balcony, did he? Right. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I always wondered if if Mama Nadia was, was looking out for us. And you've mentioned that too. Like, I wonder if she kind of I think knew she that was. we did some naughty things like like smoking a cigarette and she was, you know, warning us like, hey, Vitali Prizion. I think she was. I like to think of Mama Nadia as kind of a, an American sleeper agent in Russia on our behalf. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode, we're going to talk about vices. You know, a lot of people, when they think about Russia, they think about different vices, different, you know, things that Russians purportedly do. But we're going to get into some of that. But uh, the the title for this episode is Prima Nostalgia. And what does that mean to you, Dave? Well, that's the name of, of a cigarette brand that they have or at least had in Russia when we lived there. And it was just the, the cheapest, crappiest cigarettes that you could find. Yeah. And it mean prima nostalgia means like the prime nostalgia. And these were these filterless cigarettes. Like we thought they were so cool. We bought a bunch of boxes of them, not even to smoke them. Well, well, they had but, pictures. Uh, they had pictures in. of like Joseph Stalin on the front and uh, Vladimir <laughs> yeah. Lenin and Lenin. Some of the like main communist uh, leaders. We we I remember buying uh, you know like a half dozen of those and bringing them back to the states and giving them to friends. Uh, just because I oh, thought, they were so cool. Thought they were cool. Yeah, it was this like little red cardboard box, uh, like all really cheap. This cheap little cardboard box, and it was all red with a black and white picture of Joseph Stalin looking all glorious and cool on it. Yeah, and it had a it had a quote from Joseph Stalin. Um, I think it was the the Nishagudnazat Zanamiyim Moskva, which means like we're not going to take one step backwards because Moscow is backing us up. 
Yeah. So it was like this World War II patriotic quote. For something that patriotic, they were just the crappiest cigarettes. They were so bad. They were the cheapest. And I remember at different kiosks, you could buy a pack, which was like nothing, maybe like 30 cents American cents. Oftentimes people would buy them by the by the, by the the cigarette. Like uh, you, you could buy five, I think, for like one ruble. It was, it was really just nasty stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was like no filter, just the, the cheapest tobacco. And uh, and it was like the kind that homeless dudes would smoke. Yeah, I remember we we mentioned them to Abramov, our friend, one time, and and I asked him about that, and he said, "Prima nostalgia, ani bombjovski cigarette, David. Like those are bombs cigarettes, like for the bums. For the bums. <laughs> That's the kind they smoke. Yeah, because they were so cheap. Well, we were we were kind of on the opposite extremes of vices, right? Kind of a little bit back and forth." Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about about vices and then the opposite, the fundamentalism, the the really strict religious crowd that we were hanging out with. But yeah. because today's episode is all about vices, Grant, I'm gonna I'm gonna crack a beer here real quick. All right, in the spirit of things. There you go. Nazdarovia. Nazdarovia. Well, uh, just a little bit of a background for everybody. <sighs> we both uh, grew up in very conservative churches, evangelical churches in the U.S. Um, actually. I think both of our dads were pastors growing up, right? Your dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Yeah, they were both pastors, and they both went to the same conservative Christian college, to Biola That's in Los right. Angeles. Yeah. Uh, so we both grew up in the church, pretty conservative, pretty fundamentalists. But when we got out to Russia, the Russian Baptists that we were working with were on a totally different league of fundamentalism out there. Yeah, I mean— I want I want to put it into perspective for people who, because it freaks friends out when I tell them about how we grew up, um, people who didn't grow up with religion at all, any kind of religion. Yeah, and like so so the kind of religion that we grew up with, it was already very conservative for American culture. Yeah, it was like you know we were in churches where, obviously you know you couldn't nobody could be gay, you couldn't have any kind of sexual contact or intimacy before marriage, and, you know, a lot of rules. Like, a lot of people thought it was evil to smoke or to drink alcohol. Some people thought it was evil to watch R-rated movies. I, I remember hearing people say that you would go to hell if you voted for a Democrat. A big joke that people would say, but there was a little bit of truth to it, was um, that, like, Baptists don't have sex because it leads to dancing. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, that being said, like, we kind of grew up in this this conservative background but we were kind of shocked when we got out there. Yeah, so we get there, and the the Russian Baptists that we were working with, it was a different ball game. It was a whole other level of of fundamentalism. Like, and so the churches we grew up in, compared to the Russian Baptists, man, they looked like an anarchist hippie free love <laughs> compound. Yeah, compared to the Russian Baptists. Well, I remember uh, we got we got in trouble once. We we had when we moved out there, we brought one little laptop. This was kind of. Uh, before you know, everybody has their iPads and phones and smartphones and everything. We had uh, this little laptop so we could write emails back to home. And uh, it was back in the day when you had solitaire on your laptop. And so you know, we're sitting at home just bored out of our minds, and we all got pretty good at solitaire. But one day we accidentally had that open when uh, Vitaly or one of the other church leaders came over. And and then we had to have a sit down talk with the leaders about playing cards, <laughs> not even actual cards in our hands on the table, gambling, poker type stuff, but playing a game of cards solitaire on the computer. Yeah. What are what are some of the other like really crazy rules that, that we came across with the, the Russian Baptists? Well, I just I just remember like we were just never good enough for them. Um we kind of came in, uh, and of, of course, we were just three young guys, you know, right around our 20s when we first arrived, and um, they probably had no idea what to do with us, but, you know, we were we were supposed to help clean up things at the church and work on stuff for the camp. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, Vitaly would come over and just kind of, uh, you know, make little comments about our apartment not being clean and how cleanliness is next to godliness and stuff like that. It was just very, right. very um, legalistic and even like listening to music. When we first went, the, that first trip, uh, the, our two-week trip when we did concerts, 
uh, we had to change our entire set list because somebody found out that uh, one, you know, one of our songs was a Nirvana song. We were gonna play "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and uh, they they wouldn't have it. They they didn't they wouldn't let us do that in a concert. So we had to go back and uh, plug in worship songs, songs that we were doing at church, uh, which definitely <laughs> did not have the same effect as playing "Smells Like Teen Spirit" for all those gutter punks out there. <laughs> Yeah, those those kids did not recognize our God as an awesome God. They were not rocking out to. <laughs> no way. No, they weren't. Some of them were rocking out to it though. They got they got into it eventually because you, we did a pumped up version of it, and so you would see the like the the metal kit the metal heads in the front row. They're like head banging and they're doing the devil horns. They were they were definitely throwing up awesome devil God. horns, which uh, I saw some of the pastors <laughs> eyeing that the whole concert and was a little bit afraid that we were going to get shut down. But uh, it was like we couldn't we couldn't do anything. Yeah, nothing was good enough. That that camp that we helped them out with, uh-huh. which we'll talk about in another episode because it it merits its own story. Yeah, but it was like for me that was incredibly stressful. And I was kind of co-leading it. My Russian was still pretty bad. But on top of that, I just had these watchful eyes on me the whole time. Yeah. And, like, I, we were squeaky clean, man. We were not doing anything. And it was still, like, there was constant suspicion that we were going to do something bad. I remember I got up one night to go to the outhouse. Yeah, which which we built. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we dug the hole and uh, built the outhouses. So I got up at night, and I'm, I'm going to the outhouse. And Tonya, the lady who... Had let us go in her banya. She she caught me walking across camp and she scolded me. She said, "David, я знаю, что ты делаешь. Я знаю, что здесь творится. Я знаю." Like so, she's telling me, "I know what you're up to, man. Yeah. I know what the two of you are doing. I can." And like the two of what? And she says, "I see the way you look at each other. You and Oksana, Oksana, the babe, the blue ox, Oksana." Yeah. And so she, for some reason, she got it in her head that uh, Oksana and I were sneaking off to go make out in the woods. And I was like, I wish, but no, she doesn't even talk to me. Yeah, we all knew you'd be up for that, but uh, but Oksana like barely even knew we existed. Yeah, yeah, she just uh, cold shoulder. <laughs> and so I was like, dude, I, I can't do anything. I can't even take a dump in the freaking outhouse without getting scolded for it. Yeah. Like it was just constant judgment and constant just devils around every corner and everything is a sin and the Baptists would preach whole sermons about why kissing is bad, why there's there's no reason for a boy and a girl to kiss before they're married ever. Yeah. Like just extreme, extreme legalism. But you know, they weren't, they weren't jerks about everything. Uh, I remember when we were playing communist volleyball on the beach one day uh, with the youth group. The, remember that drunk guy who just kind of stumbled over? A lot of people were out on the beach. It was a nice hot day. And uh, so different people were having their different get togethers and, there was a guy who was visibly drunk who uh he was just wearing his boxers a lot of a lot of folks where we lived in Russia when they would go to the river they would just strip down to their underwear and then and take take a dip which the baptists did also yeah yeah even they like the baptist dudes like they didn't bring swimsuits they yeah. just stripped down to their underwear so we're playing communist volleyball with you know a bunch of guys and girls in their underwear and this this old guy comes over totally drunk and wants to play with us. And as we're going, his wing just flops right on out of the fly and just kind of yeah, sits the there for about a minute while he's j- jumping around trying to get this volleyball. And the three of us are looking at each other like wide-eyed, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, am I seeing this? Why isn't anybody saying anything to this man? Uh, you know, can anybody, like, tell him to just, you know, put it back in there and – and maybe go sit down for a while. You're drunk. Go home. But they were they were chill about you know stuff like that. So at least they weren't. Yeah, like, nobody nobody said anything. Yeah. Nobody even looked at. It. They didn't even react. It was it, totally normal. It was just kind of normal day to day kind of experience. And so at least in that way, they weren't you know 100 uh, percent against sex or against the bodies or nudity or whatever. Yeah, I think it was the it's the nudity thing. Like the Baptists, they're they're still Russian, and Russians have this really healthy attitude about nudity is a natural thing. It's just a just a body, and they don't sexualize nudity like we do. That seems to be like a, a European thing. It seems like Europe is kind of known for embracing uh, the body and you know not sexualizing yeah. it all the time. You you always hear about you know nude beaches or topless beaches in Europe, where in the United States there's a sexualization of skin of nudity. 
Uh, I think that probably comes from our Puritan backgrounds of the United States. Yeah. But it was funny that they were a little bit more progressive than us in that in that area at that moment. Oh, I mean, can you imagine a like a fundamentalist Baptist church in the States and some guy's dong flops out in front of them? They would start exercising the guy or suing him. But, you know, we, we, uh, we had some vices when we were out there as well, uh, just us personally, even though they were kind of mild on the standards of different vices, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we... The way we coped with all this extreme judgment was by like having little ways to rebel. Yeah. But they were like very squeaky in the beginning, in those first few months when the th- it was the three of us, when Murph was with us. Yeah. Like our quote unquote vices, they were like total church kid, you know, rebellion. Like we were we were not drinking alcohol at all. Well, you guys, Murph you, and I would. You guys having a cigarette on the balcony. I mean, that was a few months into this that story. And I think you guys had had that pack of cigarettes for like three or four months at the time. You know, it's not like you guys were out, you know, smoking cigarettes every night and going through a pack. And the same thing with uh, with the cards. I think we we rebelled against getting in trouble for playing solitaire and having cards. If they're telling us not to gamble, well, we're going to gamble on everything, right? <laughs> yeah, so we, we had this period when we would just... When we would bet on everything. Yeah. Like we would bet on how long a sermon was going to last. We would. Or which bus would come first. We went to that person's house and they had a parakeet. Yeah. Remember they let it out of its cage. and Yep. And so we like we placed what we made a pool right each of us put in a hundred rubles. And, yeah, this bird. And it was like this bird kept hopping from shoulder to shoulder, and we were just looking at it, just thinking like this bird is going to crap on somebody here. Um, we'll all put in a hundred rubles, and whoever this bird craps on gets the pot. <laughs> and uh, I think I won. If I remember correctly, I won. I guess you, if you could call bidding, getting crapped on winning, I guess I won and oh, it lost is, at the same time. <laughs> it is when you, you're working with a Baptist church. Yeah, it was a win. It was a win for us gambling right underneath their noses at that time. I, you got busted. You got busted uh, for buying kvass, right? Yeah, we mentioned that kvass drinking contest that Murph and I had in the last episode about yeah. food. And uh, I, so when Murph and I decided to do our kvass contest, I deci- I said, okay, I'm going to go take these plastic bottles and get, get them filled up. And again, Kvass is that that rye barley drink. It's a non like a non alcoholic beer that they sell in these big tanks on the street. Yeah, non alcoholic though. It's a soft drink, and it's really cheap. So I took like four bottles. It was six liters total, and I took these bottles down to the Kvass lady and had her fill them up just like across the complex from our apartment. Yeah. So I was walking back. I mean, only walking like half a block, and somebody spotted me. Yeah. Somebody in the neighborhood from the Baptist church saw me carrying these bottles and they looked like beer. Yeah. Because I, I think in the supermarket, you could do the same thing with beer. Yeah. You could bring I a think bottle you could take and an empty bottle fill it up. Yeah. Yeah. They had a tap and they'd give you draft beer. And so somebody saw me carrying these three, six liters and they thought that it was beer. And they went and told <laughs> Pastor Misha and, and Pastor Misha, like the next day he came to our house and he just sat down at the table I was drinking tea, and he sat down with me, and he didn't even, like, preface it with anything. He just said, David, David, do you drink beer? And I was like, what? What? I, I haven't, like, I, I hadn't drank anything in Russia. And I was like, why is he even saying this? And it was because somebody tattled on me for carrying these bottles of kvass, and they thought it was beer. Yeah. But... Which is still a lame thing to do. Like, like, dude, mind your own business, man. <laughs> I mean, we, we were, we were though in some of those ways being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious though too like the gambling thing i remember at that time jackass the tv show was really big and i remember we had a dvd of one of their movies and we would watch that like every night because it was so stupid and so banal like that was kind of our way of rebelling against this uptight baptist culture that we found ourselves in yeah it was it was liberating to watch jackass in this weird way it was spiritually liberating because it was like reaffirming everything that's just dumb for the sake of being dumb like like just this really like stupid american humor and i loved it it was so carefree like these guys just doing you know and just doing dumb stuff like getting getting naked just because it's funny that the guy's naked yeah we had a digital camera and we started like taking these pictures around our apartment like when somebody would be coming out of the shower uh-huh. and we would just take these goofy pictures of us being naked and doing weird weird stuff naked weird poses <laughs> yeah these bizarre poses i remember one of me i like i did this handstand in the doorway with my feet up on the <laughs> the door frame buck naked, naked. And, i was in the, then, i was in the background <laughs> coming out of the shower 
And I have this look on my face and I, I was buck naked too. I didn't have a towel. Uh, uh, I had like yep. a little hand towel that I would dry off with. And so I'm out, I'm, I'm in the background naked looking like what is going on over there? And you're upside down <laughs> in the doorway. But we, but, but those were, those were some of the ways that we tried to cope with, uh, with this uptightness. Yeah. It, but it's still, we're still following all the rules in those first few months. Yeah. Like we were still just total boy scouts. Yeah. Like not not drinking, doing we weren't doing anything with girls. Like we weren't even dating anybody at all. Yeah. We were sque- squeaky clean, but it was still nothing was good enough for the Baptists. Nothing was good enough. We mentioned in another episode about starting to take Russian language lessons from a guy named Mike uh, Mikhail Sergeyevich. Right. We talked about in that episode how he turned on the TV and would put like porn on the TV in front of us in thinking about vices, sex is a, a big vice for a lot of people that can get a lot of people in trouble. And a lot of people, you know, for, for them, the, their number one vice is sex. And for Mike, that was definitely his vice. I think it, he would probably classify as, as a sex addict yeah. like bar, by most standards when he was that time. Well, one of the times he turned on pornography for us during the lesson, I was over there and he turns on the TV and it's, there's this naked woman on the TV. And then like, he turns to me and he says, just David, I am so sick of this. I am so tired of this. My wife. And he points at the door with his wife's in the kitchen. My wife, I think that she is number 100. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he had, he, he would tell us stories uh, when he was younger. He would go to the the Soviet summer camps for uh, for the youth, the youth camps, and he would t- he would tell us these stories about how every week or every summer or every month, whatever it was, he, they would go out there and he'd meet a new girl and they would sneak off at night and go make love in the fields and uh, but it was always a new girl every time, every new camp. He just didn't really have any sense of monogamy or any sense of of love being something that was special. You you guys heard a lot of stories one day that I was not over there. Yeah. I remember you came back and we spent all afternoon with the two, you and Murph, just telling me the stories that, <laughs> that Mikhail had told you about all his, his sexcapades. Yeah, I remember I remember one day, and I don't even know where, where we ever got to these conversations. They, it just seemed like... He wanted to bring these up and talk to us about it. And so one day he was telling us the story about when he was younger, this factory in town got a new manager and it was this woman and uh, his friends who worked at the factory, they came over to him and there. And after a few weeks of her working there, they're like, Mike, you got to do us a solid. This lady who's our manager, she is so uptight. Uh, she won't let us get away with anything. Uh, you know, she's all about getting these numbers and, and having the production numbers up. And we're just working to the bone. We think it's because she just hasn't had sex in a while. Can you do us a solid and go romance her, take her out, bring her over to your house, have a meal and just do your magic, Mike. Sex her up good. Yeah. So Mike says, yeah, I'll do that. And so he he goes and picks her up and brings her over to his home. And, and, and he let us know that she was a very large woman which yeah. uh, he at least to his credit Mike wasn't biased yeah he didn't he didn't judge he didn't judge uh different shapes or whatever he was he was okay with all women uh but she was a very large woman and the only problem was his couch wouldn't fit the two of them so he had to put it down it was like a futon style couch which many of them were out in, when we were there a uh, futon style couch he had to lay it down to turn it into the bed way so that way he could make love to her and uh, he said his friends came back after after that weekend and thanked him and were so glad. And she had eased up and just wasn't as tense as she was before. But those were the types of stories that he told us on a daily basis. Yeah, like a hundred different women with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we have these two extremes. Like on the one hand, there's us and this extremely judgmental, legalistic, squeaky clean, fundamentalist church world. And then we're hanging out with people like Mikhail Sergeyevich and who had just had this really <laughs> sordid life of crazy drunken sexcapades his whole life. Yeah. And so we were we were like walking between these two extremes while we were there those first few months. And so we met some people like, you know, they would talk about things like prostitution as just a normal part of life. Yeah. And like I'm thinking of, of Galia. You remember that girl Galia that we, we uh-huh. started hanging out with? Yeah. Her and her friends, I think they were English teachers or English students. They spoke amazing English. Yeah. She kinda had she kinda had a British 
British accent, right? Did she have that going on? Yeah. <laughs> she had this really funny, high, squeaky voice, and she had learned British English really well. She had this great British accent, and uh, in Russian, she sounded like a normal Russian person. But then in English, to me, <laughs> she reminded me of the, the suffragette woman on Mary Poppins. Uh-huh. Like, you remember that character yeah. who's she comes in with she has like a votes for women yeah. sign? And so she talked like this with this very high voice, votes for women. <laughs> and like, and just everything she said, we would crack up because she sounded like the votes for women lady yeah. from Mary Poppins. <laughs> she was always complimenting me, too, because she's, I think she was in, well, yeah, I know she was into me because eventually we sort of dated briefly. She would tell me things like, you have a very handsome body from going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she she asked us if we tried the prostitutes, right? How did say that in her voice? That was yeah. that I almost cracked up when she said that. Yeah, we were just talking about normal things that, you know, she and her friends were asking if we had tried borscht and have you tried this restaurant and and have you tried uh Russian beer and whatever and and then she said, "Have you tried the Russian prostitutes?" <laughs> <laughs> We were like, what? well, no. She said, why not? Why not? Like, well, that's, yeah, that's just what you do, of course. You it was almost like she to... was offend- offended that we haven't, hadn't tried the Russian prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, and just baffled. Like, well, of course, you go to France and you're going to try the crepes. And you go to Argentina, you're going to try the steaks. And you go to Russia, you've got to try the prostitutes. Why would you go to the country if you're not going to try that? We talked a little bit about Mike being a chain smoker in uh, when I think of Russia, I, one of the things that I that I think about immediately is the smell of cigarette smoke. It was kind of everywhere. And I, I say that not in a complaining way. In fact, I kind of am nostalgic. Whenever I walk by anyone smoking a cigarette, it's almost like a, a comforting smell. And it brings me back to our time in Russia. We talked about primum nostalgias, but uh, cigarettes and alcohol seem to be a really big vice over there in Russia as well. And that's, that's, I think what a lot of people in the States see Russia as. And unfortunately there's kind of the trope of this drunk Russian person. Yeah. It's a stereo, it's a stereotype. It's this, which a lot of non-Russian people have this stereotype that this idea that everybody drinks all the time, that vodka comes out of the faucet in your kitchen, which we know it, it doesn't like corp, Corpse water coming Corpse out of water. the water. Speaking about vodka uh, coming out of the tap in the kitchen, can you tell us a little bit about the word vodka and, and how that works? So the word vodka is actually a derivative of the word voda, which means water, which is spelled voda, V-O-D-A in Latin alphabet. So vodka actually means little water. So vodka is like a, it's a diminutive affectionate term to speak of water like the beloved little water oh. and so there's this almost uh, sacred connotation that comes behind that word and vodka is a it's a big deal i when we would talk to people about drinking culture and drinking habits during those first few months we would uh, like a lot of people would talk about vodka and drinking beer as like Two separate things. Yeah. Right? Like, there was that guy that you met. He, he had a huge beer belly, and he told you he didn't drink, right? Igor. His name was Igor. It was at a concert. We were we were playing a concert, and a beer company was sponsoring the concert, Baltica, which makes one of my favorite beers, Baltica 7. Yeah, Sidnorica. We were there, and he had, I think he had a beer in each hand, and he was looking at us, and he was sipping them, and, and he says, I don't drink alcohol. And we're like, oh, that's really good of you. <laughs> and then he goes, I drink a beer. beer. <laughs> yeah, beer, beer doesn't count as alcohol. It doesn't, yeah, it didn't count as alcohol, at least in his mind. Speaking of which, I'm going to crack open another one. There was a difference in the culture between hard alcohol and uh, lower alcohol content drink like beer. Yeah, it's like beer is just kind of a casual thing. But once you, when you talk about drinking vodka, it's that's serious business. Like it's, it's kicking it up a notch to a different level. Yeah. And it's almost, there's a lot of, rituals around it too so it's interesting because there's a lot of drinking culture around both beer and vodka but vodka especially like there's there are people who drink a lot of it but not in a stupid way like you don't hear about people binge drinking and dying from it Hmm. you i mean people people might die eventually from cirrhosis or alcohol related illnesses but you don't hear about things like you hear about with frat boys and party kids in the states you know when somebody turns 21 and and they go do 21 shots on their 21st birthday, and they go to the hospital from it. Yeah. And that's not something that, that happens in Russia. And when the vodka bottle comes out there, it's like a very measured practice of everyone has to take the shot together, and there are all these different toasts that people do. 
And then somebody pulls out a guitar and you sing songs together. And and often the third toast is de devoted to somebody's loved one who's passed on. And people start reciting poetry and reciting Pushkin. Yeah. And so there's all this like like liter very literate culture surrounding getting drunk together. And people do get drunk, but they're not, they don't binge. Now, one thing that really stood out to me, though, uh, and this was a culture shock type of a thing, was walking down the street and seeing people walk, you know, with a bottle of beer in their hand or with a, a vodka bottle in one hand and a juice chaser in the other hand, uh, you know, probably going off yeah. to some meetup with some friends. Being able to, you know, drink on the streets, that was something that was happening when we were there. I think the laws have changed since then. If I remember correctly, there's been laws outlawing uh, public alcohol consumption. Yeah, I want to say I want to say 2007, I think they passed a national law. Um they've really cracked down on all of this stuff since then. Yeah. So I think 2007 they outlawed public alcohol consumption and even the two times I've gone back to visit since we lived there which were 2005 and 7, um I've noticed like drastic changes. Like you don't see these crowds of guys drinking out of a bottle on the street. You don't see people walking like you mentioned. Uh -huh. walking down the street with a bottle in their hand. And that was 10 years ago. So I, I feel like things have really changed. Even like smoking indoors has been outlawed in a lot of places. Yeah. But when we lived there, it was still kind of that free-for-all, right? Yeah, it was a little bit of the Wild West. I remember going down streets, and you'll see these guys just in this squat. I always called it like the Soviet squat or the Slavic squat. Um, I think there's a <laughs> word people reference to it now. They call it the Gopnik squat. Uh, I would. I remember just seeing them everywhere, and specifically, I, I can think of this one story. We had just finished doing our uh, youth group club night. It was somebody's birthday, so you went off with him and, and a group of people to go celebrate this guy's birthday. I, but I was tired, or I yeah. just wasn't feeling it or something, and I maybe wasn't feeling good, so I decided I would just go home and go to bed. So I got home, and when I got to our apartment, I realized I didn't have my key, so I was locked out of the apartment. So I went out to try to find you. I knew where you were going to be, so I went to this club and asked the if I could go in and find you and get our key to get home, and I'm saying I'm I'm saying all this in like two year old abilities of Russian, and these guys are looking at me like, who is this guy? I had I had holes in my jeans, and this they they weren't about to let anybody dressed like I was come into their club, so they just kind of laughed at me and kicked me out. Didn't they? Didn't one of them make a? Make a joke about 9-11 when they heard your American accent? Yeah, at first they asked me um, They asked me if I was, well, they, they used a derogatory term. They asked if I was a foreigner, basically. And I yeah. said, yeah, I'm, I'm American. And they go, oh, America, 9-11, Twin Towers. And uh, I just stared, stared at not them. Not very friendly, guys. Yeah, not cool. So uh, I just left, and I thought, well, maybe I can find a friend, you know, there was a, a couple other places. There was a rock club that we would go to, and, and I knew we'd always have friends there. I tried to find someone there, but it was closed. So I just ended up kind of walking on the streets, and I run into this group of guys, and they're sitting there having their beers in their squat. And one guy asks me for a cigarette, and I had to tell him I don't smoke cigarettes. I knew immediately once I would open my mouth, they would know that I was a foreigner, and that could be yeah. a really horrible thing you know i could get into a fight just like that yeah, late at night on the street guys drinking yeah but if i ignored him that would also offend him and i could get into a fight so i took my chances and i said no i don't have a cigarette and i was right he did he did realize i was american and um but he got excited so it was the total opposite reaction that i thought and he got excited and shouted out to his friends who were down the street a little bit. Come over here. There's there's an American. Let's have beer together. As you said before, <laughs> uh, smoking, drinking was a big no-no with the Baptist church. So I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this? If I buy a beer with this guy, who knows who's going to walk by and see me? But if I don't buy a beer with this guy, that could offend him. He could get mad and, and he was drunk already. So, you know, we might just get into a fight here. So I, again, took my chances and went over and bought beer, which was kind of funny because uh, he kind of expected and made me buy beers for everybody. So I bought about four beers for all the guys who were there. Oh, and you were you were treating. I was treating. Yeah, beers. because was I was here. the rich American, I guess. I don't know how that happens, yeah. but I treated everyone to a beer <laughs> and we're standing in a circle 
and they're asking me some questions uh, in my broken Russian and his broken English. We could communicate a little bit at least. But right next to right next to us, all of a sudden this fight breaks out. My eyes go big. The last thing I want to happen is get arrested. <laughs> and then I'd have to deal with the Baptists <laughs> and I would get in a fight at the same time. So I just chugged the rest of my beer, put it on the ground and just took off. I wasn't about to waste that beer with all that stress all around it. I remember that. I mean, that, that oh, yeah. felt like kind of a normal thing. You go, you go down the street and people were just standing on the street drinking outside of a kiosk and maybe somebody would get in a fight or whatever. But that was that was one of the experiences that I had kind of firsthand with that. You know, like we mentioned, when we lived there, it was common to see dudes drinking on the street. But at this point, I think a lot of people might be listening, people who've never been to Russia, and might feel like, okay, this is confirming everything I thought about Russia. I thought I thought Russians drank all the time and everyone was drunks, and, and this is confirming that. And so I think we should put it into perspective... Yeah, because I think we started to get that impression too when we lived there. You know, we heard a we heard an anecdote from one guy during our first visit a year before we we moved out there. This guy said, "Hey, you have to be careful when you're walking around the streets here, and you have to watch out." And we said, "What? Well, watch out for what? For criminals? For pickpockets?" He said, "No, watch out for falling drunks, because <laughs> guys drink on their balcony on their balconies in their apartments, and sometimes they get too drunk and they fall off their balcony, yeah. and they fall down to the ground." So you always have to look up when you're walking around. But the, <laughs> you made it sound like you're just going to be walking down the street and there'll be hundreds of drunk dudes raining from the sky as you're walking around. I'm glad I never had to experience that one. I think that was a little bit of hyperbole on his part. Yeah, I mean, we never yeah, we never saw that happen. You know, but, you know, you hear about people having alcohol-related accidents everywhere in the world, anywhere that alcohol exists. Well, yeah. And, Dave, you, you did some research about that. Can you tell us a little bit about how alcohol is in all of the world and some of the numbers that are out there? Yeah, so we should put, put all of this into a little bit of perspective. Look, comparing Russia to other countries, I looked up some of the stats on drinking in different countries, and, and some of them are, are kind of surprising. So there's one report from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, and they did a report showing how much straight alcohol people consumed for the year 2013. Mm -hmm. And they had another study in 2000. So we've got a 10-year study here. And it's kind of surprising. The uh, And this is just going by the pure amount of alcohol. So, so they adjust it depending on whether people reported that they drank hard liquor, beer, wine. Mm. And so the, according to their study, the number one country is not Russia. Number one country is actually Lithuania. Okay. So Lithuania has the highest highest consumption of alcohol. So they've got 14 liters of pure alcohol per person per year. Huh. Yeah, so then you dilute that to whatever people are actually drinking. And after Lithuania comes Russia, right? No. Russia's not number two either. Austria is number two. Huh. Actually, the, the next four places are not Russia. After Lithuania is Austria, Estonia, and the Czech Republic. And those all have about 11 to 12 liters per capita. Okay. So in this report, we're looking at the amount of alcohol consumption. Uh, another thing to take into consideration, though, is that this is averaged out over the whole population. Hmm. So, so this is the the average amount per person, if you're looking at the entire average. But what they found in this study, when they looked at the details, is that uh, the large majority of the alcohol was drunk by only twenty percent of the population. Yeah. So you've got this top twenty percent of really heavy drinkers. Like in Hungary, for instance, the top 20% consumed about 90% of all the alcohol that was consumed in, in the country. Uh. And in France, you've got the top 20% consuming 50% of the alcohol. So even the fact that per capita, you've got an average of people drinking this much, that doesn't mean that everybody is drinking in that country. Yeah. And a lot of the times, it just means that you have this minority of heavy drinkers who are drinking a whole lot and picking up the slack for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> for all the other people. Well, what about what about beer? We know we know that according to Igor, my friend, uh alcohol and beer are two different substances. Can you tell us any stats about the beer drinking? Yeah, so in beer, uh Russia doesn't even fall into the top 10 on the beer list. In a different there was a different study that was done by a Japanese company Kirin, which makes Kirin Ichiban. Mm. And they did a study, the uh, top 10 beer drinkers, Russia is not even in there. Oh, wow. The top country for beer drinking is uh, the Czech Republic. Okay. That's because it's the, the best beer out there. Oh, it's, yeah, nice little pilsner. Yeah. And so number two is actually the Seychelles, which is this small island nation. Okay. The Seychelles is number two, probably because wow. it's really hot out there. You drink a lot of beer. And then number three, Austria and Germany. Those are big dr beer drinkers. Number five was Namibia, which is a, you know, an African nation. Oh. 
And it was, uh, that might be the German influence. It was colonized by Germany for a while. Yeah. And then after that, you've got Poland, Ireland, Lithuania, Belize and Central America and Romania. So all that, all that to say that putting it into perspective, there are a lot of other countries that uh, drink more alcohol than Russia does. I may be making a correlation where there really isn't one, but looking at those lists and thinking of those countries, a lot of those countries face extreme poverty. And a lot of the countries on the list, um, the World Health Organization has another list where Russia is actually higher up on that one. Uh, Russia's number four on the World Health Organization's list, which I think is from um, a longer time ago. But a lot of the countries are former Soviet countries also, which you've got instability, you've got, uh, especially during the time that we lived there, 2003, this is right after the destruction of a nation, yeah. the destruction of the Soviet Union. And so you've got you've got poverty, instability, and a lot of nations that spent a lot of years, and some of them still are, trying to figure out what their identity is as a nation, what their future is, where they're heading. Yeah, if you think about both Russia and a lot of those countries on that list, in the last hundred years, they faced two world wars, a lot more deaths in those countries than our United States forces who were a part of those. Uh, they've faced um, just huge times of economic instability. Um, you think about the Cold War, you think about the Soviet Union and, and some of the, the exploitive things that they were doing uh, as, a, as a government to their country and to the countries around them. And it kind of makes a little bit sense that uh, there are generations that, you know, turn to the bottle to try to cope with some of those things. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of rough stuff to deal with. So to put all of this in perspective, we were in Russia in 2000. 2002 was the first time we went, and we lived there, 2003 and four. Mm-hmm. And the country, was it was still reeling from perestroika. That was the destruction of a country. The Soviet Union fell apart. And anytime you've got a country that falls apart, the government is gone. You don't know what the country's future is. You can bet that the the young people, this whole generation of young people who don't know what their country is, don't know what uh, their own future is going to look like. I mean, you can bet those guys are going to be drinking on the side of the street. Yeah. I mean, imagine just for a second if the U.S. were to fall apart. Like the whole country falls to pieces, like the South secedes again, and the Southwest goes back to Mexico. Texas is independent. The Northeast joins Canada, and there's just this little remnant of, like, the Midwest and Northeast, and that's all that's left of your country. Hmm. And it's not even called the United States or America or anything. There's some new name, some new system, new government. It's not even the country you grew up in. I mean, you better believe there's going to be a lot of young, angry guys standing around drinking on the street. Yeah, you're right. Also putting it into perspective is the fact that the craziest stories, the most excessive debaucherous vices that we saw in Russia wasn't even from Russian people. It was a, it was an American dude. You remember Gringo Luke from San Diego? <laughs> yeah, Luke. Yeah, the guy, he looked like the god. Yeah, that was what Mikhail Sergeyevich said, huh? He had long, right. long hair, and he always said, he looks like the god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was this tall dude with, like, long, dark hair and this beard or a goatee and and we were on the bus with him and, and Mike, and, and Mike just was just staring at him. And he finally says, he looks like the God. Because he, <laughs> like he looked like Jesus, but like he didn't act like Jesus. White, white Jesus. White Jesus, right. White uh, American Jesus. Yeah, this guy, he was, he was just a mess. And he was like, every vice in the book, he had no limits. This dude, mm. he was like, nowadays he reminds me of uh, the author Tucker Max, the guy who wrote, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, uh, these books about just like his drunken sexcapades, like this guy's life was like that. He just had yeah. he had no controls, no limits. There was like there was no ego or super ego. It was like the id running the whole show with this guy. Yeah, really gross, gross kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we we hung out with him for the whole day. He was he told us he was from California too, and and uh, he was just like boozing the whole time. He was like pounding these. Uh, tall boys of Baltica the whole time, and and yeah. uh, you know, bragging about all of his uh, sexual escapades, and and I mean, like when we first within like ten minutes of meeting him, I remember he told us that he has to masturbate like fourteen times a day just to break even. Man, and I was like, wow, man, this this guy needs therapy, <laughs> and, yeah, and for a doctor sure. maybe too. <laughs> 
<laughs> like you got a problem, man. And he was and he was just always talking about every woman we would pass on the street, he would just like stare at her butt and make some comment about her and yeah. And uh you know told us about his girlfriend back home and he said, "Yeah, you know, she's kind of a goody two-shoes cuz she doesn't even let me grab her butt when we're walking around the mall." And we were like, "That's that's just like a, her being a normal person, I think." <laughs> Most people don't like to be groped in public. Yeah, that's not a goody two shoes so just, thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just being like a member of society. Normal common decency. So he's just is pounding beers the whole time and he kept on talking about how he wanted to get a boom boom massage and Yeah. And like I remember like he went to the concierge in his hotel and and he was asking her to get on the phone and I was translating for him. And he's telling her, like, hey, I want to see if you can call a massage service. And so she's asking the operator or something and saying, like, massage. And then he says, oh, tell her tell her it's a boom boom. I want a boom boom massage. Man. And this old concierge says, boom boom. Wow. And then she, like, she laughs because she just laughed at how ridiculous this dude was. Like, yeah. just, a, just a piece of work, man. There, there was another guy, I think with the same name, Luke, that we met on the train once. And he was the same thing, an American dude. And he was just like all sex and all alcohol and booze and getting drunk the whole time that we ever met him. I, I, I only saw him the one time on the train, but I think since you stayed longer, you, you met up with him a few times maybe when you went through St. Petersburg, right? He, he was kind of the yeah, same way. Yeah, he, uh, I think he lived in St. Petersburg. We met him on the train from uh, Estonia. We were taking the train from Estonia to St. Pete's. Yeah. And I remember he asked us to carry some of his bottles of booze because he had bought like 10 bottles of, of vodka or whatever. And you're only allowed to cross two bottles through customs. And and so we had to, like, carry his booze through customs going back into Russia. And, yeah. and I remember, like, it's kind of a, like, it's a sad story because I, I think he he really had problems with probably depression. And I think he was self-medicating with alcohol and, and I mean, sex addiction probably. You'd probably call him a sex addict in modern terms. I believe it. Because he was just, he was always complaining about everything in Russia, like that everything sucks. And I don't know why he lived there because he had nothing but bad things to say about it. But he was always saying the cell phone service, it's not like in the States. They don't do things right. But then if he would mention sex, his eyes would light up and he'd have some crazy sex story to tell. Yeah. And that was like the only thing that made him happy <laughs> was oh, talking man. about like booze and sex. And like, like, wow, this guy, he's got some, got some issues to work through. We met those guys and they definitely had their problems but we we had we had our own vices as well, and I, I wouldn't say they were as extreme as these other American guys. But I wasn't out, you know, having sex. But I was interested in girls, and one of my biggest vice was kissing girls. You know, around right. around month six, I was tired of slaving for the Baptists and playing kind of this clean cut missionary guy. I remember I I I stopped getting my hair cut, you know, in the night, in the short buzz cut style that was popular there. And I just kind of was letting it grow and letting my beard grow. And that was kind of a physical manifestation of what I felt like inside. And one of the things that we did was we started accepting the invitations to go dancing at a local nightclub. Um, remember our uh, translator friends, they, they were inviting us for like the whole six months that we were there. And, and up until that point, we we're like, no, we can't do that. We, you know, we want to, we want to stay away from anything that might look bad or whatever. But around month six, we were like, screw it. Let's just do it. Let's just go have fun. So uh, we would go out to uh, to that nightclub. Remember Club Jumanji? Oh, Club Jumanji. I love, oh, what a fun place. Yeah, we had what some, a, we had some good times. We, 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 we were, we, that was when we kind of started drinking beer, drinking alcohol. Um, not to the extent that these other guys were doing, but just kind of letting loose a little bit. And I, I think for me, I kind of at that point wanted to get caught by the Baptists and get sent home. Wow! You mentioned you mentioned uh, that the Luke guy who lived in St. Pete's maybe struggling with depression. I think around that time, I was I was getting depressed. You know, it, we were just never good enough for the Baptists. It, I felt like I couldn't communicate with people. Things were going on back home, and I was you know hearing about uh, friends doing fun things and and getting together, and I just was felt like I was missing out. So I know that I was probably uh, struggling there with depression myself, and so I w I wanted to get sent home so I could just get out of there, but um that never happened. Right. <laughs> that maybe they maybe the Baptists had <laughs> suspicions of our debauchery, but I don't think they ever caught us and never really brought that up. 
so we would go dancing and and I remember I would just go out and dance with pretty girls and oftentimes end up making out on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, I I never made out with anyone, man. You I was so jealous cuz you had <laughs> you had game, I had zero game. And I was trying. I had my like my Russian haircut with the long bangs and everything. <laughs> I was I was looking good. I was looking studly. Uh, and I, I and I beg nothing, to differ. It never worked for me. <laughs> well, I mean, by like 2003 Russia standards, I was looking good. Yeah, you I, know, it's all relative. I, I still don't know. Well, I, I remember, <laughs> remember that. Remember that one time there was. Uh, we went out dancing one weekend, and the next weekend we had a, a concert we were doing with the Baptists. It was like a it was like a multi church youth event. You remember that? And we were playing music, and there was this one girl I remember yeah. seeing across the room, and she saw me, and she got really excited. And at first, I had to think like you know, who, who is this? And she was waving and walking over. And then it popped into my head. I re- remembered, oh, she was the girl I was dancing with and kissing last week. <laughs> she was, she was a Christian too. And a, and a part of one of the other youth groups. And I guess, uh, felt a connection with me, which I guess was cool. But, uh, man, I, that, that kind of freaked me out and kind of opened my eyes. Like, uh Oh, I, I better watch, watch out. <laughs> yeah. I think she was, I think she went to the Pentecostal church Yeah, because you know, the Pentecostals, they'll, They'll get crazy. They're they're not like the Baptists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're wild side. They're okay with dancing for at least, right? Well, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe if maybe if I stayed there longer, I would have dated her. I don't know, but next week my my grandfather died back in the states, and so I I came back, and since I was feeling depressed, it, it just made a lot better sense for me to just stay back in the states and kind of recuperate. Right. That was about nine nine months into the into yeah. his stay, right? That was about yeah, that's like right. right at the nine month point. But Club Jumanji, man, we had some good times, didn't we? Yeah, it was uh, what a it was such a fun place to go. It was this it was like this Africa themed club, like they had these grass thatched roofs over the bars. Yeah, it was and, probably but it was kind of like like a pretty racist pretty racist representation of everything. They had these wooden statues that were like all just you know extreme and grotesque features. But it was like, you know, just it wasn't like a pretentious nightclub. No. It was like just a fun place. And we would go there and hang out with our, our translators. And just cut loose. And uh, I, just cut loose. I remember one time we were in there. Uh, we were with our, our friend Marina. And all of a sudden I was like, hey, where'd, where'd Grant go? You just disappeared. Yeah. And Marina said, oh, he's, he's, out, he's outside having a cigarette. I was like, what? Grant, Grant doesn't smoke. What do you mean he's having a cigarette? And she points outside <laughs> through the glass doors. And not only were you having a, cig- a cigarette, you were having five cigarettes at once. <laughs> you, had like, you, had, you had like five cigarettes in your mouth, and you're just blazing all of them up. And so we came out. We, it was time to leave. And so we came out to go get a taxi. And, like, you give one to me, and you're like, you're telling us in Russian, and this is for you, and this is for you. And we get in the taxi, and you gave the taxi driver one. You said, I at the Tibie, this one is for you. Yeah. He took it in stride. Like, like it wasn't even the first time that night that he saw a guy getting the taxi with five cigarettes in his mouth. Yeah, that was just normal for him. I I remember uh, one night, I think I, I took your ass book, that you know, that book that you had carry in your back pocket and write notes and stuff. We should explain what what the ass book is cuz that's that's going to sound weird if <laughs> if we don't explain what Yeah, we just we just both carried it's... carried around notebooks in our back pocket that fit back there and we would just take notes whether it was language or people's names or just stupid little things. I remember sometimes drawing stupid drawings, but I think I wrote in yours I owe you 100 rubes or something like that, right? Do you, you remember that? Yeah, it was like this this drunkenly scrawled note it was said I because I lent you a hundred rubles to to buy drinks, <laughs> and you just scrawled this like I owe you one hundred rubles, love Grant with like this sloppy signature at the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, I think I still have that somewhere. You know, I I remember also we would um we got a little bit more bold around our apartment where not just you and Murph out on the balcony having a cigarette here and there, but I remember sometimes uh packing up my backpack with a six pack of beer and sneaking it into the apartment. You know, I think we would make, make some food and, and have, have drinks with that. And, and that was just one of the ways we'd kind of relax and, and chill out. But eventually like we weren't smuggling the bottles back out of the apartment. So our balcony just kind of got full of uh, bottles of beer Yeah, and it looked, it looked oh, the Corona's remember the, the Corona's that we bought. Yeah. <laughs> That we we really wanted because we would buy the Mexican Coronas that they sold at the store, yeah, and we really loved it, and and it was like 
It costs like $5 for one bottle of Corona, oh, which, yeah. which people here in Mexico City can't believe that I ever paid that much for <laughs> one Corona because yeah. it's like a cheap beer here. But we went one day, I went down to the corner store and we wanted to buy more beers. I think we were watching Back to the Future and <laughs> and I, I went to the store and it was just like a little family-owned corner store. So I was thinking, oh, these guys, they're not going to have foreign beer. But I went in and I asked them anyway. I said, uh, and the guy said, like, of course we do. I said, oh, great. All right. Give me six of them. <laughs> and, he, and it was like these, these big dark brown bottles. And it turns out there's this Russian brand called Sibiriskaya Corona, yeah. like Siberian Crown. Yeah. And so I got six bottles, and it was I really hated it. I remember it being really bad. Yeah, that was one of the nastiest beers I think that we tried out there. Yeah, which we, there was some there was some great Russian beers, but there were some pretty horrible ones too. Yeah, I mean there was the one that it was sold in like the three liter plastic bottles, like a soft drink, and that was just oh, it was so bad. It was like that was worse than like Steel Reserve Two Eleven. <laughs> Like yeah. malt liquor, it was just the crappiest beer. Yeah. Well, so bad. Well, Dave, you know, thinking about like us being an Ameri- Americans and those guys that we met, those two guys named Luke being Americans, it makes me think a little bit about like one of the. Th- I, I think and I look back on my time at least, and I'm a little bit ashamed and a little uh, taken back that I used my American status you know, to get to know girls and kiss them. I feel like, you know, I feel like that was kind of an abusive power and the the power dynamic was just different. And those guys were doing the same things. You know, they were, they were out looking for girls and sleeping with girls and just kind of using their American status. And, and so that for me, I think looking back, that was something that if I could go back and change things, I would have done things differently. Yeah. I remember the, the Luke guy who lived in St. Petersburg, like he did it consciously. Yeah. He 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 knew. Just openly told us. He's he said, "Oh, it's cool. You know, I mean, you can you can do whatever you want in this country if you're American. You can get away with anything you want." Man. And he just had no qualms about that. I think it's interesting like the kind of ethics that we were raised with too, with you know, our evangelical upbringing and then the fundamentalist Baptists. Like it's interesting that that there were a big deal was made about smoking or alcohol. You know, as if both of those things were just intrinsically evil. Yeah. But there was no there was no ethical talk about things that were actually ethically bad, like what you're talking about. Yeah. Like abusing your position of power, of authority to uh, for any reason to get with girls or to use power and abuse power for any reason. Yeah. Like we were never raised to look at morality or ethics or I mean sin to use the religious word in those terms of things that are actually bad yeah. <laughs> like things that are actually highly unethical and at the same time you know a big deal was made out of oh you shouldn't kiss girls you should never drink a beer etc yeah you know it felt it felt like may- maybe there were kind of only two options that we had which was uh you know on this spectrum of uh total deprivation on one side like uh, you can't do anything, you know, even playing cards or then this total depravity on this other side where we were meeting people like our teacher, uh, Mike, who, you know, said he had uh, 100 women, you know, or people who were just right. drunk, you know, out of their gourds, <laughs> just, you know, falling around sloppy drunk. It was either kind of the Baptists or or these kind of gutter punk kids that we were meeting at our concerts who were just going all out on the other way. Yeah, and that's a that's a really dark worldview to to end up having to feel like yeah. like you either have to be some some severe Baptist who has no fun or else like be you know I don't, an alcoholic like be somebody who can't hold down a job. Yeah, like it's it's like that old the old cartoon with the guy who's got an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Except here, like they're both pretty devilish. Like both options do not sound like good options. Yeah, it's like you know like Stalin versus Hitler. Who do you root for? <laughs> Or one of these movies, like like Freddy versus Jason or Alien versus Predator. Yeah. Like, whose side do you pick in a battle like that? Yeah, they're both kind of equally evil. Right. But, like, toward the end, after we spent more time in Russia, of course, we learned that most Russian people are not on either extreme. Yeah. And if there's one thing that I want to hammer home with this episode, especially because we're talking about drinking alcohol in Russia— I want to make it very clear that that most Russians are not on either extreme. Yeah. Most Russian people are able to drink and smoke and dance and have fun. And they still they they have a job. They have relationships. They're functional human beings. Yeah. Like this, you know, this this stereotype of the drunken Russian. That is a reason it's called a stereotype. Because most people do not fit it. Most people are just normal people and they're able to be functional adults in Russia. Yeah. Most of the people that we met 
were right there in the middle, kind of just balanced human beings, just trying to figure out life and get through without screwing up too much. But they were able to relax. They were able to enjoy a drink. But then times at the times when it was appropriate, they were able to not enjoy a drink, you know, and that was totally right. fine. Hey, speaking speaking of enjoying drinks, you uh, you started off this episode with a beer. How's that? How's that beer treating you? Oh, so good. It's uh, three of them actually. Oh, okay. these are uh, it's a, a Mexican beer, Victoria. It's a, a dark beer. It's uh, not as good as a Baltica. I wish it was a Baltica because yeah. that would be more appropriate. <laughs> but uh, it's still you know it's nice to be able to have a beer without the Baptist breathing down your neck. Yeah, <laughs> I I agree with you on that. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Russia With Love. Write a review, download, and click subscribe to never miss an upcoming episode. To stay even more connected, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at TRWL Podcast or Instagram at TRWL underscore podcast. You can always email us anytime at trwlpodcast at gmail.com. To Russia With Love is sponsored by the KGB, the Kremlin, and Vladimir Putin's personal podcast fund. Спасибо за внимание. Please, thank you.